A little bit of a different podcast episode for this one. It's clocking up as episode 105 in the library. And it's a subject matter that I have shared personally on here before and across my social media platforms as well. It's all about endometriosis, a term some of you may be familiar with and a term some of you may even struggle to say (laughs) because it is a difficult one to get your tongue around at first. So what is it? What's this episode all about? Without giving too much info away at this point because I've got four amazing women lined up to share a lot more detail with you all in a second but it's ultimately a women's condition it's primarily affects the reproductive system and our monthly cycles and it's still very much unknown actually into the causes of it you know the whys the wherefores the hows the enormity of the condition is huge and the impacts are extremely severe in a lot of cases Endometriosis UK, however, are doing some amazing work to raise awareness. They're campaigning in government to um, rally for medical support and intervention. And they're also doing a fantastic job at providing support for women who do suffer. The current stats stand at one in 10, which is alarming to say it's still very much misunderstood. So... I've decided to include this episode as part of the Who Wants to Be an Entrepreneur series because of its reality of what many of us, including me, deal with, as well as running our lives and for a lot of us, running businesses as well. You know we are extremely, extremely health conscious here at HEW and we will champion anything that, quite frankly, combines a display of grit determination and a positive attitude in the face of challenge. In my opinion, and along with Lauren's 100% backing on this, this episode and endometriosis and what we are dealing with is no different here. So sit back. I really hope you find this insightful. I I hope you find it educational and inspirational. The women that you're going to hear from are extremely open And for that, I'm really thankful. And I'm beyond proud to be standing shoulder to shoulder with them to make this possible for us all to share our experiences with you. So ladies, thank you all for uh, joining me on this uh, this wonderful podcast panel that we've got um, and managed to get ourselves together collectively um, through the wonderful world of social media of all places um, to talk about something that's quite personal to us all, um, but is very um, profound in terms of, you know, the message that we can deliver out to everyone else uh, on the topic of endometriosis, which we've all got our own personal journeys on, um, a heartfelt experience, some painful some luckier than others, um, it might seem. Um, but I'm so pleased that we could all get together um, and share this uh, journey and experience and story to with one another for a start, but then obviously to, to the, the, the wider, further afield of who we can help, who we can support, and, and how this can actually then raise the awareness and the profile of this condition that not many people actually are so aware of. And it's not till times like this when you, you know, against fellow uh, women warriors, as it is, um, that we actually get to see the, the extent of the issue and the extent of the, the uh, symptoms 
and the, the condition that we're dealing with day in, day out, because it's not just something we can press stop and start on. It's something that, you know, we carry around for our entire lives a lot of a lot of the time. So, yeah, I just want to introduce all of us um, into the panel. So I'm just going to start off no particular order, um, but who I can see on my screen. Uh, so, Grace, can you introduce yourself, just who you are, where you're from, how old you are, and why this is something that you wanted to get involved in? So I'm Grace, I'm 32 from Leeds, I'm the Place Partnerships and Development Manager at shopaki.com and I was really interested to join this panel because before I was diagnosed with endometriosis I'd had no idea that, that it even existed. When they said the word endometriosis I was like, are oh, you talking a foreign language? Um, I've had a bit of a journey, I speak to a lot of women with the condition and it's harrowing for a lot of people um, and a lot of women do suffer. I actually do consider myself one of the lucky ones for several different reasons. So I'm really excited to sort of share my experiences with you, but also really looking forward to hearing how you guys are dealing with things and, and hopefully we can all take something from each other. Wonderful. Thank you. Kerry? Yes. So I'm Kerry. Um, I'm from Northern Ireland. I'm 37. Currently working for, um, I work for Henkel, who is the company. Um, I work on the Schwarzkopf professional accounts, so I'm an account manager for them, which involves going around salons, drinking tea and telling them about our lovely colours. Mm -hmm. um, the reason I wanted to join this today was because I have probably had the fullest journey I could with endometriosis. A um, lot of ups, a lot of downs, um, but it's really to help sort of raise awareness. I now see my nieces growing up and my friends' kids growing up and I worry about them for their future um, and, and how we can raise awareness for them so that they know it's nothing to keep under the carpet or, you know, just, just kind of not talk about. Awesome. Thank you so much. Jill, what about you? Okay, so hi everyone. So I'm Jill. Um, I'm 60 something. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm looking glamorous. Help. Um, so I, um, I struggled, struggled all my life from, well, being school, you know, first periods I used to being the headmistress, who was a very daunting, scary headmistress. And I used to be in, in her room every, every month. Here I am again, you know, ready and waiting for me. And she actually did phone home to my mum and say, you know, this is not normal. Um, and, and introduced her to our her gynecologist at the time. Um, but I struggled on and struggled on. Uh, did get married, um, did start having uh, infertility treatment, um, just never got pregnant. Everybody was getting pregnant around me. It was awful. Um, did all the things, went, but suffered horrendously and then was diagnosed really know how old I was really when I eventually got diagnosed it was probably 10-15 years later when I did get diagnosed um still desperately fighting wanted a baby and putting up with it and putting up with it wiped me out totally wiped me out uh, I'm self-employed now I was self-employed actually when we, when we started the business and I, I struggled and then 40 was a big a big time for me um, I mean, I'm going back now and, I've, you know, sort of my friends are, are having treatment and having babies at 43, 44, 45, but I had 40 in my head and I did have an hysterectomy at 40 um, and it did work. 
my life is so much better now. It's incredible because you do hear of people who have hysterectomies and, and they're still struggling. Uh, but for me, it was, however, I had a tough hysterectomy, really what, and, and I was the guy who did it. I was apparently his last one. And he came to see me and he said, you know, you made something that has been very routine, extremely difficult. And he said, you should have had this 15, 20 years ago. It was such a mess. Wow. Um, but we never talked about it. You know, I'd, I'd talked to a headmistress, I'd talked at school, but things I thought were normal, you know, like horrible gooey things, you know, going to the toilet and all that, you know, I'd not talked with my friends. And, you know, so my bladder was really stuck to my bowel. So it was causing all problems with my bowel. So the hysterectomy said was just horrendous. Um, and I had to have blood transfusions and everything. Um, but since then, you know, but now I'm a bit of a, because when you do talk about it, it's surprising how many people are struggling quietly. Um, and so I'm a bit of a go-to. So I've almost got this little endo gang <laughs> around me uh, and we just talk about it. So I was quite interested in just sort of, you know, sharing how it was and how it is. Yeah, that's brilliant. I mean, that, I, I don't know about any yeah, anybody else on this panel. Uh, I'm sure there's lots of other girls and women who are going through, and uh, you know, you, your story really relates with me for the age I'm at as well. Yeah. I'm 38 um, yeah. and I've not got children, never tried. Um, mm -hmm. So I don't know if that would be a problem or not. Obviously, we all know that um, endometriosis can be a barrier to fertility. As you've just said, you know, you went through fertility treatment. Yeah, so yeah, I'm I'm really you know listening with intent ears mm. at that because you know that is something that I will be crossing that that bridge, you know, mm. in a timely fashion. I would imagine you know it's something yeah. that that and even some of the routine things that you know you know I don't even know. I'm going back years. I'm old, remember? <laughs> but you know, so when I was in my thirties, you know, we used to do the dye, you know, so the check to see if you got any blockages and your fallopian tubes and everything. So you went, it was like the most routine thing ever. You know, there was loads of other people having this thing. And honestly, I went in and I can still to this day remember it. It was as though they were injecting a pain drug into me. I was, it was so painful. And everybody else that I've talked to since I first said, well, what are you talking about? I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel, and obviously that's what, because I had the endometriosis, I had so many blockages and so many. So basically what it was doing was stirring everyone. I, get, I don't know, very crudely, I guess, stirring everything up. And I was in agony. She said, right, get off the bed now. I was like, get off the bed. I can't move. Um, you know, so just, and everyone else I've spoke to since said, well, I never felt a thing. I was like, oh, look at you. <laughs> you know, so it is interesting really thank you that's brilliant georgia you're probably listening here and thinking <laughs> oh, what the heck? You're, you're, you're a little bit newer in terms of treatment to this aren't you yeah definitely so i'm georgia i'm 27 and i'm based in sheffield and i'm a fundraising officer for western park cancer charity um but yeah as helen alluded to it's definitely i'm probably at the um lower end of my journey than other people i think that I probably have had it a lot longer than I am aware of but I only had my first laparoscopy last February uh, so yeah it's definitely a new journey to me and a complicated one that's for sure um why did I want to join this podcast I think for me um I have I'm one of my three uni friends um 
and we all have endometriosis and I just think oh wow like how can we all have it and then to read the statistic one in ten of us have it but nobody knows what it is like oh it's just a period pain it's it's whatever uh, and I think it's so important uh, to raise awareness especially for for younger women who maybe feel like they can't advocate for themselves or can't speak up I think to to make more and more people aware that it's not just a, a simple thing and Jill is proof of that it's a very complicated mm. condition that is a whole body disease yeah it, it absolutely is I mean through through this podcast um just for the listeners um benefit here we are going to be covering you know you've, you've got indication of of the whole spectrum and um, just from five of us on this panel of all different experiences yet still all in the same um condition you know you've got the extent to you know Jill um and then Georgia and Grace saying that you know she feels like she's one of the luckier ones to Kerry Kerry I know you're going to be sharing your uh, experience and Kerry is a mom actually um so you know that, that's another um, a joyful experience out of like the condition in itself. But we're going to talk about like our symptoms, how it all came about, um, and also then the impacts then that's had on our lifestyles and you know our, our working capacities, and um, the relationships that we may have had or, or not had, and the understanding and support there. Um, and also then we're going to be talking about the stigma around the uh, the whole women's health and periods and what you can and can't talk about, and whether that's in the workplace whether that's in relationships or just general in society um so just to give you a, a, a heads up there of what we're going to be covering over the next sort of 40 45 minutes so grace i want to start with you because you said you know you, you're one of the luckier ones and you you know when we when we first had our initial conversation you did say to me um that you have had quite a positive experience do you want to yeah, do you want to yeah, share some more like on that as positive as, as I think it can get really um, so probably going to say something a little bit raw but um mine sort of I was diagnosed in my early 20s and it was actually brought on because I got caught out with my boyfriend uh, and I got pregnant um, and I chose to have a termination it just wasn't right for us at the time um and during my termination procedure they fitted me with a coil now in the early stages of my pregnancy, I was in an unbelievable amount of pain. There was, I kept passing out behind the wheel. I was being sick. It was really, really bad. So bad that they thought I was having an ectopic pregnancy. So months after the, the, the pregnancy and, and I've, I've got this coil in and I'm still in so much pain and I'm kind of doing a bit of research and I looked into it and, and the, my symptoms were classic endometriosis symptoms. I'd had no idea what this was. And, and looking into the research, it can be triggered by either getting pregnant, just in the way that getting pregnant can solve it, or again, having a termination as well. And so I was thinking I've given myself this, you know, this endometriosis and went on for a few more months. I went to the doctors and to be fair, when I say I was lucky, they were so quick to act. They referred me straight to gynae squad at the hospital. I was straight in for a laparoscopy and I was diagnosed with endometriosis really, really quickly. So at the time they did switch my coil out so I'd moved from a copper coil to uh, my rena coil which again is, is supposed to really help with symptoms but even though obviously the progression through the, the chain was really really good the lap didn't help um, literally within weeks I was in so much pain again but again my doctors were so 
reactive and really quickly. I wasn't waiting for appointments. I wasn't waiting for treatment. Um, we tried a, a, a several other things. There was we tried a, a, pill, a couple of different pills. Um, I tried um, menopause. So I was menopausal for three years using GNRH analog injections, which was a send. Like whoever says they don't want to go menopausal, it was an absolute dream. Um, and then once I've kind of come out of, of menopause, because you've got um, concerns over becoming, um, you know, getting osteoporosis and, and bone thinning. So, a, you know, person my age couldn't stay in that for that long. Um, I, I came out of it and um, I started using, you know, I started to see an acupuncture therapist. And alternative therapies were transformational. I was kind of thinking, what's this voodoo stuff? It's not going to work, you know, it's all, you know, jiggery pokery, whatever, smoke and mirrors. And honestly, within a couple of weeks, I noticed such a big difference. And it was, as I said, transformational. I felt like a new woman. And now when you start acupuncture, I don't know if anybody else here has, has gone through any alternative therapies before, but you can go into what they call a healing crisis. So when you first go for the first week or two, it can exacerbate your symptoms a lot worse than what you get them. But it's moving the energy around your body um, and it's getting things shifting again before it starts to heal itself and, and subside. And that is what actually happened to me. So anybody that does look into alternative therapies, do persevere because you can go into, as I said, that healing crisis, which is bloody awful. I mean, endo is awful anyway, to then have it exacerbated. Um, but again, I saw some really, really great progress um, through acupuncture. So I would absolutely recommend that. And, and heat was always a really good one for me. But then something really weird happened at the end of last year. So I was due for a coil change. And um, I was also because of having loads of pain again. I went back to the consultant and said, we're going to get you in for a lap. But, you know, before we get you in for another lap, why don't you um, and, and just have a poke around and see what's happening, do, do the laser and all the rest of it. Uh, but why don't you go for an early coil change? Because actually, if you get your coil change early, that might help alleviate some symptoms further. So I went to have my coil changed and they took it out. And when they were trying to put the new one in, well, that was it. I was almost being sick, I was sweating, I was crying, I was in so much pain. Just And she said, I've, I've literally just put the stick in. It was, it was literally a couple of inches, if that. Apparently, I've got an awkward cervix, a really awkward, shallow cervix. That's one for the boys. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and so they couldn't fit it on that day. She says, you know what, we've got to send you to the awkward cervix unit, the gynae squad at the hospital, and we'll get you in in a few weeks' time. And what happened, actually, in that period was having my coil out, I had some pains at the beginning, and then I had a period, and I had no pain. And I was like, this is weird, because my pains were weeks long, hours, crippled, in bed, couldn't move. I would lose feeling in my legs. Sometimes I'd fall to the floor like a sack of spuds. And... Um, so I thought, this is weird. I'm just going to ride this out and see, see what happens. The following month, again, same thing. I've got no, no pain. Obviously, I've got period cramps, but they weren't endo pain. Um, I'm now five and a half months down the line, and I've not had any endo pain since. And yes, I have endo because it was diagnosed in the laparoscopy. 
but what if I was one of those women that actually wasn't you know there were lots of women that don't know mm-hmm. and it was all triggered by my coil and you know they use the coil as, as a means to to help but actually if you're like me you've got an awkward service maybe it's not the most suitable thing for any women who struggle with hormones and think that a coil is a, the best alternative I'm actually on a progesterone only pill at the moment norethisterone and I'm super sensitive to hormones and honestly it's it's again it's it that's been really really good because I can't take any other combination pills or anything like that but in a nutshell that's my story it's been a bit of a whirlwind tried lots of different things um but yeah that's why I feel like I'm really lucky because mm-hmm. my doctors were so so proactive um and then obviously I'm in this stage now where I feel like kind of crossed over the line um into like this magical meadow where I've got no pain mm-hmm. <laughs> Mm-hmm. That's so cheesy, but it's it's true when you've gone through all of that, the, the you know, the implications of work, relationships, mental health mm-hmm. about the other side. I I just feel so lucky. Well, long may that continue then, Grace. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we all we all wish you like the longevity <laughs> out of that pain free. Because we could all deal with periods. Like for the rest of our lives, we could all deal with periods if we didn't have all the, the other implications and pain and, and extremity of it. And that's where the misunderstanding comes from. It's not just a period, is it? No, no it really but isn't. When you say about the reactive nature of your GP then. What sort of time frame are you looking at there from, you know, first knocking on the door? I would say, well, it normally takes, uh, I think that the normal referral period is around two, three months. Um, And it was exactly that because it it was the first conversation and I went through all of my symptoms. And I'd, I'd, you know, I'd I'd said I'd spoken to Dr. Google already, (laughs) which is probably one of the worst things you could go into your doctor and say. But I said, I'm not insane, you know. I've got a good job. I've got an education and I know my body. And actually, he was super respectful, yeah. really respectful. And he says, you do know your body. And if this is how you feel, I'm going to put you forward. Yeah, brilliant. Super quick. Georgia, what's been your experience there in terms of your sort of length of time of diagnosis? Because you mentioned to me first off that um, you'd started having symptoms around the age of 15. But it's not until last year where you had your first surgery. Mm-hmm. Has that been that length of time what's taken you to, to br- progress things that far? I think, yes, I'd said to you that I was on holiday with my mum and dad about 14, 15. And I very vividly still remember being literally bent double in the street, mm-hmm. just smack bang as it does out of nowhere, excruciating pain. I couldn't walk. I couldn't communicate. Um, and I was like, mm on my period this is what periods are they're painful and it's just what being a girl being a woman is tough luck um and then as I got a little bit older I think this was probably knocking on about five years ago now things started to ramp up a lot um I was having pain um after sex a lot of bleeding and I was thinking oh my goodness like it's something unimaginable not that endo isn't but that was really gonna like threaten my life basically Uh, and I went to my GP and she did all the tests that they can and sent me off to have various other tests um and I had an internal ultrasound and he was a bit like oh does that hurt does that hurt nothing came of it I spoke to her afterwards to get my results and she was like well he's not really found anything so it is what it is 
And at that point, I would have been early 20s and very naively was just like, oh, well, she's a doctor. She's qualified. Um, she obviously knows what she's on about. I'll just leave it, whatever. Um, and then in 2019, things escalated even further and I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't work. I couldn't go into the toilet was exhausting, like just ridiculous. And I was like, oh, well, I've got this horrible pain in my abdomen. And I was like, it doesn't feel like normal period pain, but it's that kind of area um, in my legs, in my back. Um, and this brain fog, which I had no idea before I was diagnosed even existed, creeping in and just the simplest things like having a conversation about having a cup of tea, not possible. Um, so I went to uh, the GP and I listed my symptoms and he more or less just went, well, it's IBS because I had some bowel related symptoms as well. And I was like, oh, it really doesn't feel like stomach issues. But again, I put my trust in him um, and he put me on various medication, various prescriptions, uh, which clearly in the long run were absolutely useless. Um, and I keep on going back to him and back. And it took me literally like basically having a paddy uh, in the doctor's surgery, crying in front of him to be like, please pass me on to a consultant. I want to see a gynecologist. If I have to see a, a gastro person, then I will as well. Um, and he basically huffed and puffed about it and did. Um, but was, yeah, very convinced that it, it was just IBS. Meh, it's fine. Um, and I think that was summer, late summer last year. Uh, I saw a gastro and a gynae consultant in the same week, coincidentally, in October. Um, and then I had my lap in February, two days after my birthday, which was a great present. Um, and yeah, just the relief to be diagnosed with something that is a lifelong condition, but just to be told that you're not going crazy and it's not in your head and you're not making it up was a really strange feeling. Um, so yeah, I'm glad, Grace, that you had a great experience at the doctors and that you were listened to and your doctor said, yeah, actually, you know your body. Um, and I think there should be a lot more training given to doctors and recognising that if a woman says, yeah, I'm not in pain, this isn't manageable, then they're not lying, it's true. Grace. Uh, I'm just wondering, because you had yours, it's almost a year now since your lap. How have you been since? It's definitely improved things, like... I can function daily. Um, I've had three flare-ups maybe since, but it's not that constant there. Um, I'm actually, funnily enough, having acupuncture at the minute and I do feel like it's working. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, there's been points where I feel like, oh no, it's, it's not helped and I know that a lap's not a cure and that it's probably inevitable that at some point it will progress back and you might have to have another one but for the meantime it, it's done its job I think and I'm actually living a, a normal life to some extent. Fantastic. Kerry do you want yeah. to share a little bit more um, on your experience there I know you, you did mention to me about how supportive your husband is 
um, yes. and understanding, which is, you know, that is vitally important is our support network of the people who we have around us. Um, and as we've just mentioned previously on your introduction, you do have an eight-year-old son. Um, yeah. was, was having a family or part of your plan in life? You know, did you have any complications with any of that? Yeah, so, um, I mean, I've always kind of known since I was about 15 that my periods weren't the same as everyone else's. You know, my two sisters um, would have been fine, whereas I would have been doubled over in pain, just like yourselves. You know, some days couldn't go to school. Um, so, yeah, I always knew that there was something different. My problems really started then probably when I was like 21, 22. I started noticing more that um, the pain with sex, the bleeding after sex um, became a big thing. And I had a, um, not, not a laparoscopy, I had an investigation done at that stage. And they said, listen, this is endometriosis. Um, it was paired with polycystic ovaries as well. So um, I got a double whammy, yay. <laughs> um, and that in the future, you know, having kids could be difficult. So I've always been on contraception um, to try and control it from about the age of 15, 16. Um, and when my husband and I got married, we decided then we would have, we would try for a child. We didn't know how long it would take. Um, but actually I got pregnant really quickly. Um, it was, I think, within two months of coming off the pill. So pregnancy was great because obviously you didn't have any of the, mm. the problems that you do have with endometriosis. All the other stuff I had um, with pregnancy was there. Um, but after I had my son then, so everything went fine with him. Um, in, in terms of having him, uh, it was a bit of a nightmare. Um, again, I think it was problems with the cervix. I didn't really go into that much detail. And to be honest, at that stage, I didn't want to hear much detail. Um, but he was very pearly when he was younger. He he had sepsis. He developed sepsis um, and was in intensive care when he was born. So pretty traumatic. And we kind of decided, oh, we'll just have the one kid because that was bad and we'll not do it again. So after that, things ramped up with the endo. Um, I had... The laparoscopy done shortly after he was born. Um, they took it away from my, um, it was all over my ovaries, it was all over my womb, my urinary tract. Um, and then that was fine. They said, you know, we'll leave it, see how it goes. Um, I had another laparoscopy done two years later. Um, again, this is everywhere. Um, it had now developed that it was on my bile and my bile was stuck to my pelvis. Mm -hmm. um, so pretty much like yourself, Jill, there was, there was a lot of complications in there. And I actually had it on my belly button as well, oh dear. Um, which is partly very rare. Um, so had that laparoscopy done and they said, right, this time we're gonna put in a coil because we think that this will help you. Um, I had had in between, I'd had all the different treatments. So I know you'd said, um, Grace, was it about the, you had the injections? Yeah. Like, yeah. So I've had them as well. I've had them done um, going into menopause. It was great. Uh, yeah. apart from the weight gain that came with it was obviously the bad side effect, but um, they were great because they, I think it was like nine months worth of no periods and no pain. Um, so they said, we'll put, we'll, we'll put a coil in, you know, ultimately you're going to need a hysterectomy, but the coil will prolong that um, for up to five years. Um, so they put that in, in 
2019 and it came out six months later. I got it taken out because it was awful. The coil was just every single side effect you could have that was going. I had it double trebled, you know, times where I couldn't get up out of bed. Um, like you said, Georgia, the brain fog, everything that, that I could have had with it was there. Um, so the coil came out six months later and then three months after that, I had my hysterectomy. So full hysterectomy at the age of 36. So now I'm now 15 months since I've had it. Um, full hysterectomy, ovaries, um, cervix, womb gone. The only issues I still have, and I know Jill, you said you have no problems now. I still have the endometriosis inside my bile. Oh dear. So um, it can be quite painful from time to time. Um, I still get that whole, like, it almost feels like bruising inside. Um, and it, it's not great for your toilet habits either. No, no. But yeah, that's really, that's really my story. So I've kind of like gone full circle, tried everything, um, had everything. I've been really open to trying different things as well. Um, you know, in terms of the support that I've had from my GP, he's been brilliant. But I don't know, it, it could be, it could be a regional thing over here you can't get an appointment with a gynecologist on the NHS for love nor money. Um, in fact, I'm still waiting now because I was on the NHS list and I actually went private. I'm still waiting now for an NHS appointment to come through. That's still, you know, um, it, it still wouldn't, hasn't happened. So, um, yeah, I, I end up going private for all my stuff. Yeah. Wow. I, I too went private for everything that I've had done. Uh, investigations right from um, the age of like 20 when I got told it was polycystic ovaries um, right through to I've had two surgeries one down in London one up here back in Yorkshire both private because of the waiting times for yes um, and that's just purely been decision just because of you know um, particularly when you get that relief over you have finally then got a diagnosis I waited 14 years until somebody could put a, a, the finger on it in terms of you know what was the matter um, I'd been hospitalized myself three times prior to that um, and on the third time they operated on me to remove my appendix which now in hindsight, there was probably nothing wrong with my appendix. Um, and I remember the, uh, the doctor coming around, you know, when they do the visits after your operations. And he said, oh, well, you must have been in a lot of pain because we removed hell of a lot of um, scar tissue. Well, you don't know any of that now. Well, you didn't know any of it then until you look back and you're like, that scar tissue was endometrial um, scar tissue. You know, it wasn't anything to do with my appendix. Um, but that never, it still never got picked upon. Um, so yeah, when you get that diagnosis for me, you know, a couple of you have mentioned about the relief and I had that, but then to add on another waiting list onto that, when you think, well, if I can get some like appeasement from this pain and this mm -hmm. condition, then I'm going to throw everything at it. Um, so yeah, I did choose to go private, but luckily I'm, I'm two years since two years this month um since my last operation and I'm the same as what you've said Grace um sorry Georgia in terms of the symptoms being reduced hell of a lot um but I personally manage it a lot on um nutrition and lifestyle 
exercise, relaxation. Um, I actually got laughed out of a doctor's um, office when I said that I'm going to manage it myself through that kind of alternative. And he just said, you'll be back, Helen, you'll be back. Grace? I just wanted to pick up on what you were talking about with your surgeon for your appendectomy and how if you've got a medical professional rummaging around in your body, identifying scar tissue where it shouldn't be, and yet something wasn't flagged, that that's not quite normal. There's probably something else that's happening here. How did that conversation not even happen at that point? Well, I, would say it's I, not don't, I don't know where scar tissue from, from an inflamed appendix could, should go or what it should look like. You know, that was every time I'd been in hospital before that, they were saying that it's one time I got told that, you know, I've, I've, I must have just got bad periods. Mm. Um, and then another time it was a suspected appendicitis. But then there was a, a, a debate whether there is such thing as an, um, a suspected appendicitis or the yeah, fact that it doesn't it. happen. Um, so then, you know, you've got different uh, differences of opinion on that. Um, but I wouldn't have known. I was like, I think I was like 25 I don't know what a yeah. tissue should feel like or you know I wouldn't have questioned scar tissue being found I just feel post-surgery there should have been another conversation the surgeon should have had another conversation with you because mm -hmm. I even I mean I'm no doctor but mm -hmm. I don't think that it should have resulted in loads of scar tissue around it even from a grumbling appendix but yeah I just would have thought that that would have happened Jill <laughs> Oh, have you just frozen? Good it's frozen, madame. Oh, there we go. <laughs> it is me, I put a spell. <laughs> um, saying it's unstable, yeah. Yeah, I think it's a compartmentalisation though, isn't it? You know, because you yeah. would have been under the gastro and then there's the gynae and then there's the back, you know. Again, back to me, you know, I did go to... Um, whatever the guy's called who looks after bowels and had tests for that and said, oh, well, everything's all right here. But he never talked to the, the gynae side of things. You know, it's just because it's it's all silos, isn't it? You know, um, can they talk to each other? Mm. Yeah. And when, when you say that, I completely agree with you because when I got told that I have endometriosis on my belly button, I mm. said, well, did you get rid of it? And they said, no, no, that's not, that's not for us to do. Mm. They just deal with your with your gynae organs I think if you're going into any and you know this is not a this is not a bash at medical professions yeah. or doctors or surgeons or anything like that but I think if you're going in with a, a, a symptom of abdomen pain that's where it gets put down to yeah. you know, doubled up in pain you, you ladies will probably know when you're doubled up in pain it's like think of the most excruciating stitch mm. ever but you can't even then level your body out you know, it's kind of, it, I always describe it as that. And they, and you know, when they do the rebound tests on you and all you, you know, you get prodded and poked and that, you know, they want to put fingers and thumbs in places where you don't want fingers and thumbs. Um, Not like that anyway. <laughs> and it's, you know, the, the prodding and that's what they're looking, that's what they're looking for is first and foremost is that's the, you know, that's the textbook of, is it appendix? Yeah. So, yeah. you know, it's, it, it, it is, it is a tough gig to, uh, to call, I guess. Um, Georgia, what did you want to say on that point? It's just that I've seen, I follow quite a lot of people on Instagram that have like endo blogs or endo advocates and the amount of people that are now saying demand to have a team that's not just gynae, that is bowel, that is uh, urinary, that 
again it's a whole body disease and people it's been found in people's lungs mm-hmm. um and I think also there's been lots of people saying that not all gynees specialize in endo either you can get endometriosis specialist uh, gynecologists um and I think that raising awareness around that as well um is a big point considering we've all said you said that your appendix was taken out and the scar tissue and it's like again Grace why wasn't that a red flag Mm -hmm. Um, communication maybe needs to be a bit better I mean you know I've actually spoken with um, Endometriosis UK as well and and about the work that they're doing um, because you know diagnosis time has been reduced now I think it's down to is it seven years um, which is still like insane, isn't it? Mm. It is insane, but that's been reduced significantly. And I think the more awareness and the stories that we get in and the realities over how it does impact the body, you know, it's not just the reproductive system, is it? It's not just the fact of can you get pregnant or not? Have you got a bad period or not? You know, are you in bed with lack of energy or not? It's the it's it's, it's in its entirety. It's your immune system that it effectively, you know, does does uh, impact there. Um, so I think the more the more that we kind of you know keep pressing on forward, and even even small sort of panels and discussions like this are so powerful for that reason, aren't they? Yeah. It's so misunderstood. In terms of being misunderstood, Jill, mm-hmm. and you know, you you you've been involved in this for such a long time with with your fight against it. You know, mm-hmm. how how was it back in you, you know? You, <laughs> yeah, but back in the day, like back in the day of, of, of that, with when you're saying, I don't mean that as you know, <laughs> insulting to your age or anything like that. But you're saying at all. But when you're saying about um, your headmistress at school, yeah, it's not something that. It's not something that was like my mum's in the sixties. Yeah, I know full well that they didn't talk about periods. Yeah, I think no. my mum didn't have the understanding yeah. over it when I started my period. So that's what I mean by yeah, you know, back a couple of decades. Yeah. yeah, I mean it is interesting listening to the stories now because I'm almost not over it, but you know that it's sort of bringing it all back now. You know, I'd forgotten all those horrible horrible times you know like literally you know I used my whole diary was booked around oh we can't go away that weekend and we can't do anything then and we can't do that and like I've forgotten all that now you know it's only when I'm talking it's all coming out and thinking oh my gosh did I put up with that for so long mm-hmm. uh, and clothes ruined you know absolutely ruined you know like when I had my op- uh, operation which is 20 odd years ago now. I didn't have, I don't, don't bring me flowers. I don't want flowers. Everybody brought me underwear. <laughs> I walking in waving knickers. <laughs> that was a symbolic thing for me, you know, like out with the old, in with the new. I can wear nice things again, you know. Because um, it was just so horrible, that that period of time was so, so awful. But I have, I have forgotten it, you know, and it's now going back into it thinking, Gosh, what a drudge, what an, and pain, you know, I, I can see pictures of myself and you can see it in your face, in your eyes, you know, I just kept going, you know, and I think we started a business in that period as well, you know, sort of like, how on earth, you know, could we do that and start, and you know, you'd have, a, I don't know, a big pitch or a big presentation or something like, oh no, I know when that's going to be, I know when that's going to be, and it's so horrible that you had to adapt around it and change around it to to accommodate 
those feelings. So you're right. So we never talked about, but, you know, I thought it was normal that, you know, back to bowel movements and toilet and everything. I thought it was normal that when you had a period that this happened when you went to the toilet, that these great big blood things appeared, you know, because I never talked to my friends saying, hey, does this happen to you? Do you do this? I just thought that was a norm. Uh, and it was only, you know, I just thought everybody, but to, I think you said it, Georgia, periods are like this. This is how it is. I didn't know because we didn't talk really about it. It was just, you know, you, you struggled on as it were. Mm. Um, so, but then when it stops, oh my gosh, it's so wonderful when it stops. Um, and getting the diagnosis. I, I mean, I can't really remember how long I went, but I do know I went around the bowel thing. I did have numerous laparoscopies I had I did have a drug called Danazol I think it was called um that was a hormone and I can remember they actually said you know you will start to talk deeper you will grow. I was looking at my hands all the time because it said you're going to get you know, you're going to grow more hairs on your body and I was like oh and I woke up looking at my hands um so you know this is in the dark ages <laughs> of how it was um but nothing worked, nothing. And, and and I always had that big 4-0. Um, and so I was 40 in the September and I had the op in the January. Um, and then life, life just changed. Yeah. I'm, I'm really, I'm really relating to what you're saying there, Jill, about planning it out in your diary mm. and gauging around when you can do presentations, when you can pitch, you know, when you're going to be at your, your I want you to wear, you know, I can't wear that dress then or I can't wear that when, you know, it's awful. The amount of times when I've gone to events and, um, you know, presentations and things like that and had to have a change of not just underwear, but clothes in the car. Yeah, I remember, you know, I off chairs and done a presentation in a boardroom and like not daring to look behind back on the chair. I mean, it's just grim, isn't it grim when you think about it? But that's how it was, yeah. So did you, when we talked about kind of, you know, when you were younger, yeah. so from school, did you have a good support network? You said you didn't really mention it with your friends, but what about family? What about, did I you? That was interesting when you talked about sisters. I was thinking, oh, why didn't I have sisters? And then uh -huh. I compared with my sisters, they could have done it. But I'm an only child as well. You know, so I didn't have any of that either. I didn't have, I mean, I had my pals, but I don't even know whether we did talk about it. Yeah. I um I spoke very openly with my mom mm. and in fact my dad as well but my mom predominantly but my mom didn't even get it mm. my mom at one point and we still talk about this today in terms of reflection always used to say to me oh heaven stop being so mad <laughs> and I'd be literally laid with my legs up the wall God, yeah. and you know I need a day off school each month I'd need a day off work each month and it wasn't until then I was 17, she realised that I wasn't actually being mad. And she took me to the doctors to get me put on the pill for something of, you know, as, as a pain, as a point of management of it. Um, but yeah, we we often talk about that because she's never suffered. Yeah. You know, she never knew anything about it. She never suffered with periods herself. You know, it wasn't anything that she was used to with her sister or her mother. Um, so she actually did think that she had a mad daughter. <laughs> Grace, what did you want to say on anything there? I've heard that Jill said about the hair-inducing pills that you were on that actually did nothing. And Helen, you said that you were laughed out of the doctor's office by saying you were going to manage it yourself through lifestyle and diet. But 
Jill, what you said about how the pills didn't work. Has anybody had a good experience of taking any form of pill or painkiller that's actually worked for this? Because I know I haven't, but I've been thrown a load. I mean, I could have a seriously good party, but none of them have worked for the pain. Like, I just want to read I laugh because my son, um, so my son is an avid fan of anything paramedics, casualty, all of the above. Um, and they're all they're constantly giving like TXA. And I remember when I was 16, 17, the doctor gave me TXA for for pain and for my periods. Um, it's meant to help with like clotting of blood and um, reduce blood flow. And I remember being given this and he says, this will help you. This will be everything you need. You know, you'll find you get back to normal after that. But in relation to what you're saying, nothing ever helped. Nothing. No. I've never had anything pain wise or pill wise. Pill. Oh, for years. You know, it was like, let me, when you go into a doctor's surgery and that's all they want to do is, oh, well, if that's not working, we'll just go through the book and give you something else. Yeah. And, you know, you just, it was just a constant treadmill of that for me. And I yeah. just, it's seriously not working. I still got a problem. I remember even saying to my mum, you know, when uh, you said, Grace, about you knew your own body and the doctor respected that. I said to my mum for years, my ovaries hurt, mum. Mm-hmm. She's like, how do you know? I'm like, I can tell you exactly where they are. <laughs> yeah. And I can even tell you which month is which in terms of the, then on the mid-month ovulation pain. And, and I said, I know that much. I've, you know, when you have to manage and monitor yourself down to the fact of like what Jill said about your calendar management mm. and you you can gauge your energy. And like, uh, Georgia, you said about brain fog. Oh, it's like you, you have to get used to knowing what your body's like and how you respond to things. Um, mm. But yeah, I don't I don't take any tablets unless I am literally crawling on the floor now and I have to show up for something. Mm. Has so, anybody found things that do work? That, that I guess is just, just sort of like little remedies that you could do at home. So for me, for example, a hot water bottle or getting in a bath, preferably was the only thing that would work for me. Or point one of my dogs around my uterus area. Um, <laughs> Don't be described a dog. <laughs> it, would, it would just purely be rest, sleep. Yeah, sleep. Sleep was definitely a big one for me. Mm. I, needed to, I needed to sleep, you know, for a good 14 hours at night. Mm. to help with the pain mm. and you know again I, I can't fault my husband he's been so supportive he knew when I got my period that that's exactly what it was going to be like that I was going to be in bed Um, he was going to need to kind of give me extra support and obviously support our son a bit more with me not being around but um, yeah that, that was the big thing for me was sleep mm. he's an absolute keeper yeah <laughs> I've, got, I've, got, I've got one too I've got one too <laughs> he was brilliant he is brilliant too yeah I think that's so vital is like you know we we did we did allude to that about your support network and Mm -hmm. the people around you understanding um because it 
this is real, you know, and it is, it is massively impactful. You know, it's not just the fact that, you know, you need a hot water bottle and, and pat you on the head and you'll be all right. You know, it, it, it is, it is extremely excruciating. Mm-hmm. And actually I always describe it as though it's as though somebody's just pulled the plug out of you mm-hmm. and the energy just goes like that. Um, because, you know, it zaps every cell of your body if it wants to attack you in that way, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, do you share any of your um, stories with, like, your, your wider network, friends, colleagues, business associates? You know, how open are you on that? I know, obviously, you've been open in this respect now because you've reached out on the post that I put out on LinkedIn and things, but how, how open would you be normally? I've been extremely open in the past even when I've had male bosses. And again, uh, you know, obviously I started this conversation talking about abortion. I think it's really important that we don't set limitations when we're talking about the things that women have to go through. And everything is a topic that we should be able to talk about with anybody. Um, So I personally have been really open with everybody as much as I possibly can be. I try, I try as much as I can. you know, I have, uh, with the industry I'm in, it's actually, um, it's actually a lot of hairdressers mm-hmm. suffer from gynecological problems. And I don't know wh- why, but a lot of hairdressers do. Um, so, you know, when I go and see my customers, we, we will talk about things like mm-hmm. that. Um, you know, so, but in terms of like my previous employment, it was very much like I'm going in for a female procedure. It wasn't, you know explain what I was getting done or or talked about so I feel a lot more comfortable in the industry I'm in now but that's probably because of what industry it is. I wonder if it's not the fact that it's um, hairdressers that suffer with gynecological problems but just the fact that a lot of women do in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah could be. There's so many things that you can you, that can happen down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tiny safe. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah that's crazy. What about yourself, George or Jill, in terms of being open? And Jill, you said you've got a bit of an endo gang, so you're actually then, um, you know, you're a, a, a flag bearer for it, I guess. Yeah, well, I have been quiet for a while because, you know, it's not been an issue, but I've been very encouraged now with the endometrius society and high profile. And I mean, there was a huge piece this week, wasn't there, on the news about it. Um, so I think that's sort of relit the fire as it were and as, you know has brought me out a little bit but again you know like you were saying about hairdressers you know I find a lot of career women a lot of you know hype you know a lot of MDs people in companies I, they find me somehow they find me and so yeah. we chat uh, and then it's like oh gosh and then other people find you so you know probably seven eight nine people I know uh, in quite you know big jobs here, here locally in Sheffield and we sort of I'm, tend to have a little chat and only yesterday I mean interesting that acupuncture's come up quite a lot only yesterday somebody was rang me as she was walking back from the acupuncture and saying oh I feel well it's great it's really changing my life and doing that so you know it, it's quite nice so I think I think I and I, I've posted a few I don't go on very much but I have posted a few bits on on things recently that have come out and and so I don't proactively go out to do it but it seems to be finding me and I seem to be contributing more and more yeah and I'm delighted to you know it's lovely to do this actually I think we should do it more 
Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I've had so many messages through my um, my personal social <laughs> medias as well, not just LinkedIn, yeah. um, saying, you know, you're so brave, Helen, in sharing things like that. And it's like, well, I'm glad that you think that it's brave and courageous and all of that. But if it helps one other woman, yeah. you know, be comfortable with her symptoms or be able to talk to her partner or, um, you know, go and speak to the doctor about something, then it's worth it. Like I'm not embarrassed anymore. I've been embarrassed my whole life through it. Mm-hmm. I'm not embarrassed to have these conversations. Mm-hmm. You know, like Grace said, there shouldn't be any, um, there shouldn't be any hold barred on any of these conversations that we go through as women and our bodies and our reproductive systems, our sexual health, all of that. There shouldn't be kind of like the stigma around things that it's like, Ooh, you know, we can't talk about that because we 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 all have bodies we all have you know operating bodies some different to others and it's kind of like you know let's just you know like help each other and move along Mm. um so yeah I mean I I have found that with sharing that people do then think that you're extremely inspiring because you just get on with things Mm. and you know they don't understand kind of the pain that you're in but they Mm. just see that the fact that you you keep you know marching on and fighting on and showing up for work every day they don't understand kind of what you're battling behind closed doors but Georgia I guess this is this is quite important for you as well to to be involved in that way because the nature of your work through the cancer charity at Western Park is obviously it's 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 advocating you know awareness the fact that you know people don't always have things easy so I guess then it's it's got that synergy for you in terms of you know that's why it's so important to be open definitely and I think I don't shy away from conversations if someone asked me or if someone was to inquire about what it is um I would try and educate them to some extent um and I think like I said uh, I am one of three friends from university out of a group of I think there's eight of us that has it and I just think if we can tell people more and more then that's brilliant um in terms of work work with amazing with me but at that point I didn't know what it was um so it's really hard to kind of explain to somebody what's going on if even you don't know and I think I talk about it more and more now and we're quite a heavily female dominated charity just coincidentally there's no reason for it um so I do feel like those conversations maybe do occur a little bit more naturally um but I wouldn't shy away from talking about it with my male colleagues as well, because it, it is what it is. It's a gynae condition, in, but in the same way that someone might have something that's wrong with their lungs, why shouldn't I be able to talk about it? Absolutely. I will say, um, though, in terms of then, you know, it being a female condition, the support that I have received um, particularly through you know the posts and the, the documents and things that I've shown and the the awareness and with March being the awareness month for endometriosis a lot of the support has been from male counterparts mm-hmm. and they've gone away and actually then googled it researched it and come back and said oh wow never realized that's fantastic well done you let us know if there's anything that we can do to help or or then it's a case of oh yeah my wife has been suffering with this or mm-hmm. and it's having that you know that relationship then of of that understanding mm-hmm. and it affects so many more people than you actually think but because it's been always hidden behind closed doors is that thing that we don't talk about because it is gooey horrible period things and it's just a girl thing you know it's kind of it's it, it's not been out in the open and I think you know the more that 
we can get that out in the open, the more that we do normalise this, the better for, for everybody involved. If I can ask you as one parting comment, either a piece of advice or a comment in terms of how you identify this horrible condition, but a condition that can have solutions, can have manageable um, sort of factors to it, what would it be? What would you give? What would you say? Grace? I would say that you're a woman, you are strong, you're a warrior, you are brave, creative, beautiful, bold. This might be a bit of a struggle in the beginning, but there are several things that you can do that you can implement, you can make changes in your life. Um, and it doesn't have to signal the end for anything at all. There's going to be an adaption period. There's a lot of help and resources out there. Um, you know, there's, there's things like this happening all the time. The awareness is building and just keep going and find what works for you. Awesome. Thank you. Georgia. Oh, I loved that. I feel like we stole the show. I, know, no, like, I don't know how I can follow. Um, we are bold, we are strong. <laughs> um, my biggest thing, and I think I've said it a couple of times, is don't be afraid to self-advocate. Like, stand up for what you believe in. You are right. That gut feeling you're feeling, that pain you're feeling, it's not going anywhere. And, yeah, make sure that you stand up for yourself. And um, I can't follow you, Grace. You blow <laughs> me away. <laughs> You absolutely can, and you did. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Jill? Um, I think mine would be around um, challenge normal. <laughs> um, don't think that what that what you have and what you're, and what you're putting up with uh, because you think it's normal. It ain't normal. It is not normal. So talk more and share more and, and ask and, and just and take action you know don't just think oh I've got to put up with this because you know you've, you've got to put up with it it's a heck of a long time to put up with something and you don't have to you know things are much much improved and there are alternatives so uh, challenge normal keep on keeping on which is mine I always about all the time keep on keeping on there are things out there and there are ways and you don't have to put up with it thank you so much Kerry I mean, I definitely can't follow up on all three of those, but, you know, my biggest thing would be talk, talk about it, um, talk about what's, what's happening for you, what's happening for other people. The more that you talk about your feelings, your emotions, your, what's going on inside you, um, it, it helps because you get a greater awareness of you and other people and just follow your instinct. If you think something's not right, follow up on it. You know, I wish at the age of, 15 I'd have followed up on it um and you know I could have had a lot better results than I have had previously mm -hmm. yeah. yeah fabulous um what would I say I'm going to say nobody knows your body better than you do so similar to what you just said about trusting your instincts Kerry nobody knows your body better than you do and then secondly to that and it's something that I have massively promoted is the fact that if you need to rest, rest. Don't be ashamed of it, particularly in business, particularly in life, you know, when we're supposed to be, and as women, as we, you know, championing um, like positions and, and business and, and all of that, you know, that's, that's the sector that I'm in predominantly as well, is the fact that we're supposed to have this um, sort of image of success and how it looks like, and, you know, keeping working and hustling and grinding, 
it's kind of let's get away from all of that you know we are human beings not machines and particularly when we are dealing with something like this as well we need to respect that and we have to you know be very very aware of the boundaries that we have around that so don't see it as a sign of weakness if you need to rest and if you need to share that like then be open about it and really take that time out and refuel and come back fighting so well done ladies thank you so much it's been amazing getting you all together thank you for being so open so transparent so real and raw um you know that's what it's all about we are as i've just said we are human beings um and we are all very complex but simple as well in in that respect where we all you know we just want the you just want to be uh, listened to we want to be respected we want answers um and we want to feel as though we are part of something and um, where we're not suffering alone and i think this is a great opportunity for us all to uh, gain that collective nature as well so well done to you all and thank you so much for joining us thank you thanks for listening i'm sure you will all agree the panel was fantastic and i hope you found this a powerful and insightful episode feel free to do some more research on the condition to learn even more about it and show support where you can on a personal level in the corporate wellbeing space or for your own business management. The more we understand, the more we can be proactive with action. Share with others as well in your life that you think that will benefit from this. We would love your support in terms of reviews and shares of the episode to help get more and more people talking. If you'd like to reach out to me personally to discuss anything raised in this podcast episode, please do so by visiting www.helpingentrepreneurswin.com or via our social platforms.